Hello, and welcome to Connect, Engage, Collaborate, a podcast brought to you by the Tempe Police Department. And I'm your host, Patricia Ramirez. Today, I'm joined by a panel of guests. And can you please start off by introducing yourself? Yes, I am uh, Lieutenant Raj Johnson. I've uh, been with the police department for 20 years, currently assigned to Central Bureau downtown, which is our downtown district in uh, Tempe. And can you share a little bit about uh, how long have you been with the police department and a little bit of your own story, please? All right. Yeah, sure. Um, so been with the police department for 20 years um, and have been uh, assigned to various assignments um, from uh, patrol division, uh, field ops uh, to our downtown bicycle team. I was undercover for uh, about six years uh, and then SWAT team and so forth. And so it's been a really good career. Uh, The reason why I um, my path into law enforcement actually started with my mom. And I knew that um, my mom wanted to police be a police officer. And and when I asked her, hey, uh, so what happened? Why didn't you become a police officer is because she was a woman and she was a woman of color and she didn't feel like she had that support you know, to do this job. And so um, that always stuck with me of like kind of carrying that mantle, you know, or, you know, for my mom and just, you know, moving it forward. Uh, And then um, it was also a combination of the D.A.R.E. program. And as I was uh, like in a fourth grade, um, a police officer came in in uniform and, uh, and, you know, he was in his class B and everything was crisp. Um, The, the, pleats in his pants, but probably cut butter, you know, they were that good. And he had all his medals on and he talked about what he did. And he talked about how um, he, you know, is in this profession to help people. And so that resonated with me. And I was like, that's what I want to do. My superhero character is Superman. So I kind of, you know, I was like, yes, that, that allows me to live out this dream of being Superman as a young kid. And so that's kind of how I found my way, you know, path into law enforcement. Oh, that's awesome. Can you, uh, do you mind sharing, was your mom present at your graduation in the academy? She was. She, yeah, she was present at the academy and um, my father was and, and my wife was. And um, and they know that they stored this is the reason why I wanted to be a police officer. And so uh, they, they, what, what was what's cool about, about this for me and the stories is that when I started as a police officer, it wasn't so good. Like, uh, you know, you get disciplined for, for memos, right? You get memos for like, you know, showing up late or your paper wasn't, you know, written correctly. And so I just had like a rougher start. And so I was that recruit that at one point, I didn't think I was going to make it, you know, um, I, I was given a task to like, I had to rewrite like five papers and, you know, and then a short turnaround time. And so, um, as I progressed through the Academy, um, my RTO and class sergeant, you know, saw the shift and they, they saw the change, um, about the midpoint of, uh, being in Academy. And so they didn't say anything, um, but it was like the last week, you know, when you graduate the academy and they start giving out the assignments. Well, I was the the guide on post and that was that was my my job that they tasked me because of this change. And so to be able to do that for my mom and so her, to, you know, watch me carry our class flag was was a huge honor. And I could, you know, see that, you know, that honor on her from a distance. It was pretty mm-hmm. cool. And have you ever spoken to her today in terms of the change in law enforcement and women and women of color and how that is so different today that she wouldn't have been limited. And um, have you have you ever had that discussion with her? You know, we haven't had like a real detailed discussion about it. Um, She she when we talk about it, she just says, Roger, I'm so proud of you. And it's such a like an enduring um, 
space and how she says that and how she delivers that. And I, and I, I hear it from, you know, from time to time, it's not all the time. Right. And it's so cool. Right. And because, but when she says it, it's like, it's just a stop in reality, a stop in time, you know, and there's that instant connection. And I like to think because of that, you know, I'm a strong component of like, you know, women in law enforcement, uh, women in color in law enforcement, you know, and I feel as from that perspective, um, I am a, you know, feminist in that, you know, just say, Hey, you know, um, more, you know, women um, are needed in this profession, you know, more women of color and just women in general, right, are just needed in this profession. So anytime I have that opportunity to to lift, you know, uh, support, encourage, whatever that might look like, that's that's what that's what I'm charged to do. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And Sergeant Hernandez. Uh, good morning. My name is Eric Hernandez. I'm a sergeant with Tempe Police Department. I've been a police officer for 14 years now. I've had a variety of assignments as an officer. I was a negotiator. I was on the negotiations team. I was also in our criminal investigations bureau with Utrecht and Special Victims Unit. I had a great time there. Um, as a supervisor, I've had the uh, distinct privilege of supervising our gang unit, multiple patrol squads, and currently I'm over professional standards bureau. Well, I work with you again, Trish, <laughs> in, in, in IA. So That's it's a position true. I never thought I'd be in. Uh, but uh, being there, there's a lot of good things that could be done like you've been doing. And uh, just having a, being, a, being a part of that team was just fantastic. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of points that Raj made are fantastic. I want to go back to I'm a huge comic book fan. As people know me, Superman is my character too. Oh. So when so I, when I joined this profession. And I'm Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah, so yes, I, you, you know. are. That's right. <laughs> I'm That's awesome. Wonder Woman. But that, that Superman character like resonated with me when I was little, when I was young. And uh, with my family, I have a history of military service. And I wanted to kind of do the same thing and just have that sense of duty and honor. And um, as a little kid, I looked up to Superman all the time because he had all the ideals that my family and I believed in. So very, very cool that you mentioned that LT. And then also I'm a, I'm a father of three daughters, big time proponent of women in our profession. We need more women in our profession. Um, and in the past, this is a predominantly male dominated profession. It, it could still be said that it is but we do need, we need good women over here. And I know that um, I, I love the day and age that we're living now where my daughters can be like open and then it could be completely um, not subject to the things that were done in the past. And it's a great future for them. So, And that oh. could, that could be a uh, professional staff yeah. or mm -hmm. sworn, Absolutely, would you mm -hmm. say? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, our professional staff is fantastic here in Tempe. Our dispatchers, our records department, you name it, we have good people here. So yeah, very, very blessed to be in this department working with Raj and just a little, Raj and I go way back. Like I consider him a friend and a mentor of mine. So sitting here with him is super cool. And um, I'm looking forward to this, to this interview. Thank you both. I'm going to ask this next question and just uh, leave it to, to the two of you. If you can please tell me, how is a relationship of trust being built between the police department and communities of color? You want to start, LT? Yeah, go right ahead. I think we've, we're doing great, great strides right now. Like it's, it was, I would say it was good when I joined as a, as a Hispanic officer 14 years ago. I had a lot of opportunities for growth here. And I think now it's even more so, but not just within the department, but outside our department also. Like our department has so many programs going up right now that assist the communities of color and uh, diversity is, is huge. I mean, we have Chief Glover as our as our chief right now, first African-American chief in Tempe's history. That's that's key. That's vital. And we, uh, uh, the lieutenant and I are big, uh, big and noble 
Raj mentioned, he's, he didn't mention, he's the president of Noble, our Arizona chapter, and I'm fortunate to be the vice president working with him. And there's so many, so many programs that we have, so many ideas in our brain right now, what we could do to even bridge this community and build it better together. And it's just like, I think we're just kind of tiring ourselves out by listening to each other with the ideas that we have. But there's, there's a bright future in our city, in our department. And how does the community receive that? So in terms of diversity and uh, tell me, have you had any feedback from the community? From my own personal experience? Absolutely. Um, It, as being a Hispanic officer, I'm able to interact with the Hispanic community. We have a very big Hispanic community here in Tempe, especially our Northeast portion of our city and on baseline as well. Our Hispanic population is growing and I speak Spanish and I'm able to interact with people that come from other countries here. And for them, it's it's a positive interaction with police that they may not have in their own countries. So um, it, it's been very successful for me and bridging that community and having that that trust in the police. So it's, it's been, it's been, I would say it's been really good. And the, um, the feedback from the community is, is really good as well. Cause our, our Tempe, our Tempe, our city is just fantastic when it comes to that. Our department is, I would say second to none here in the Valley when it comes to that. So I think we did a great job. I would just echo that. And I mean, I think that was just like, well said. And just like when, you, when we were talking about diversity and, and, you know, and, and as you mentioned, you know, um, Eric was uh, on the gang uh, squad as a sergeant, you know, with that. Uh, I was about to say E. <laughs> I'm so used no, to I'm, saying <laughs> right. E. But like, uh, I, I just think that's important because like he, you know, from his childhood and his experience and dealing with, um, um, you know, you know, just interacting with individuals that uh, for, for many reasons that may be associated with a gang and just to be able to have like, you know, hey, that connection, I think is is really important. And then he spoke about um, speaking Spanish and I'm like, dude, that's um is part of our diversity of connecting with people through language and, and having that, um, you know, at our department and having, you know, E at our department and just, you know, leading away in that space, I think is, is really important. And I think something like to remember, like, why is this important diversity and building trust and regaining trust with the community is because of just, you know, we, you know, we talked about just the history of law enforcement, and just kind of like where we've come from, like more time than than ever, we we have to be engaged in the space of you know gaining trust, um, you know uh, regaining the trust, you know, and um, and just changing that uh, aspect of police and where people feel that um, when they call on a our police department, um, they're going to be treated fairly, you know, um, there there will be procedural justice, you know, that we will do all the steps. Um, that it would take to solve that crime or, um, you know, to aid that victim with resources. But um, policing hasn't always been pretty, you know. Can we and, talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, you know, I, is there's just a, we, I think for law enforcement to really to move forward, we just really have to take this pause and say, okay, um, how is policing in this inception in, in America, how was it brought out? You know, and and for policing in America, it really was brought out um, through slave patrols. And that was the start of it, you know. And as much as that is really hard to say, you know, like, just wait, hold on. You're talking about a noble profession and and you're talking about people who, who were carrying it, you know, to go out. Um, but we just we do have this past. And um, and and from that slave patrols, um, which was, you know, a part of out being, bringing about the slaves that um, that ran away from their plantation, 
um, and then just moving forward out of slavery and then going into um, Jim Crow era. Right. And and I think that's really important to note because Jim Crow era, which are the black codes or um, laws or unwritten laws or some written laws that um, govern how um, um, minorities uh, very clear to say minorities, because uh, as, as much as it was true for um, black Americans, it was also true for Hispanic Americans and Native Americans and so forth that um, that said how we we're going to live life and what we could say, what we cannot say, where we can be and where we cannot be. And uh, one of the biggest things that we know of that are, are sundown towns and sundown towns um, are cities that uh, when it came to like five o'clock, you know, when the sun was going down, you could not be in that town. Well, who enforced that? You know, it was law enforcement. Law enforcement. You know, um, when somebody was upset because um, a person of color um, was walking on the sidewalk and looked at uh, a white person in the eyes, uh, who reported that? You know, a person reports that and put that to police and, hey, you can't do that. Or, hey, you can't be in this store. Or, hey, um, uh, which was unfortunately prominent in the South, um, you know, um, you know, acknowledging you know, a white woman, black person acknowledging a white woman, black male, white woman. And that was that got people killed and lynched. And so um, the policing was just unfortunately just involved in that or um, by the silence encouraged it. And so um, and that went through the 60s, um, unfortunately, uh, and, you know, it went through, you know, the 70s um, and so forth. And um, and so I think that we're we still have to um, get through that. Right. And we think we we're, we're, we we're in the 21st century. Yes. We still have to get through that. We have to have those hard talks. Right. And we have to address. Right. And I will say personally, when I learned the history of law enforcement and coming from slavery, um, that hurt my heart. Absolutely. It hurt. Uh, it was it was a little bit of a shock to me personally. And yet we have to address history and, and to make sure that we grow and we learn. But I, I would tell you as a, as a Latina, um, that was hard to hear. And yet I'm, I'm very glad that you've shared that. Yeah. Thank, and I share that same sentiment, Trish. I, when I joined this profession, that did not come to mind because you're not taught that this is a noble profession, which it is, but we need to know the history of how this profession came to be and the way to get past everything is to know the past. So I, I completely agree with what you just said. Yeah. And so going with the past, where are we in the future? What would, uh, what are ways that Tempe police has addressed that has had those difficult talks and as we should continue to yeah, have these difficult yeah. talks, but do you mind touching on yeah. how have we as a department really addressed the issue? Yeah. I feel like we are moving faster than most organizations out there. I agree. For sure. And, and, and even in the Valley, because we, we actually started having these conversations prior back and maybe I could think of maybe 2004, 2005 with um, just um, how to communicate with people from different cultures. Um, and then um, that led into, um, and actually actually was led by, <laughs> believe it or not, Chief uh, Glover and Andre Anderson, Chief Anderson, um, and I forget, I think it was maybe a course of tactical communication, something like that. And, um, and they collaborated together and, and brought that, you know, to our department. And then um, we had a little bit of space and then we had more um, bias, um, uh, implicit bias training that was done several times. Uh, and, um, and that was just really good, just getting people 
you know, used to this language and used to this understanding and awareness. Uh, most recently, um, uh, Chief Glover and Tempe Police Department took it to a different level, and that was through um, Telos. Um, I think that was uh, one of the m- most profound trips that changed me. Um, and it came at a right time for me. Can you explain yeah, what is Telos? Sure. Telos is a peacemaking, peacemaking um, um, organization that are designed to um, create peacemakers. And we are peacemakers in law enforcement. But to take a look at um, being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper and how do we go by doing that and how do we what do we know of ourselves as a community to help bring about that um, passion and empathy to use that and bring people together? And so um, Tempe Police Department partnered with Telos and did what we call a Southern Pilgrimage Trip. Um, which was in the South. And uh, E went on this trip just here recently back in September. Yes, sir. It was absolutely amazing. So we went from learning, as we talked about the history, right? And so we went into uh, Louisiana was our first um, location. And we actually went and visit and started to understand about the um, Black American experience in America from the inception of slavery. And, And we started understanding that by going to a actual, the Whitney Plantation, and actually going through up close, so you can't run from it. You know, this is what slaves experienced in America when they were brought over, you know, from the slave ships and from Africa. Um, and we spoke with people in the community. Um, we spoke with people um, that had experiences, um, you know, with plantations or descendants from that. And then from there, we went to um, um, Mississippi. Uh, uh, yep. yep. Uh, we went to Mississippi. Uh, we met with um, Meg, Medgar Evers' daughter, Renee Evers, um, which you would love her. You would just <laughs> love her. I'm going to tell you that. And we just, we heard from her experience of like from slavery up into the 60s of what it was like living in Jim Crow. And her father, who was a civil rights activist, was murdered when she was a young child in their driveway. Um, and to hear that experience, um, the civil rights, and then we ended up in Alabama, Selma, Alabama. And and we met with peaceful, nonviolent activists um, who, again, just explain what the experience has been like um, in America for for black people and and had conversations about like redlining and things like this. Um, but it was it was a really good person. It changed me. And just from a quick note, um, I, I had struggled too just from being um, black in law enforcement and just really going back and knowing like, OK, well, where did law enforcement come from? Oh, it came from that. Why am I in this? Prof- right. You know, so um, I had to work through that. It, it wasn't until I was on this trip and Renee um, Evers had, she was talking, we were uh, in a museum and she said, you know what? Um, I appreciate you law enforcement. She's like, um, I did not before because I knew what I, what I grew up. And she uh, was down at the DC um, uh, on a memorial. Um, she said years when she was a young child or just younger, excuse me. And um, she said she was afraid being into this uh, this march and this memorial march. And she said it was a, a black officer that was in a mounted unit that was a horse that leaned out from his horse and said, you're going to be safe. You're OK. And when she said that, she said that changed her. And it changed me in that moment of just like, hey, well, I'm in this profession. So, no, yeah, that, that trip is just completely eye opening. So for a little bit, I, I was born in Southern California, born and raised in Southern California. I moved over here to the Phoenix Valley, uh, Valley metro area. Metropolitan areas, you have cultures and ethnicities of all kinds here. And uh, you read about the Deep South. You read about these stories. When you go to the Deep South, there's nothing 
it, it, you have to witness it firsthand. And everything that happened there that's still going on there, that was very eye-opening for me. In school, you don't, in, you don't, you don't get taught about Medgar Evers or Emmett Till, and you see it firsthand, and it's eye-opening that this was 60 years ago. And there, as I want to bring it back, and the thing that, the, the thing that got me out of this trip, the one thing that I'll never forget is in, in Selma, Alabama, and there was an all-Confederate cemetery in the middle, in the heart of Selma, Alabama, 80% African-American population. And you have a Confederate cemetery in the middle in 2022. But to, to kind of paint a picture, someone had recently placed Confederate flags in all these uh, th- th- these graves, and they're brand new. And you have the Confederate flags just flapping in the wind. Majestic sight. But when you look at what that flag symbolizes and how to, in this day and age can you put that in a city where 80 percent are african-american and the one thing and i'll just end it on this is uh when they have the flagpole they have a statue of a confederate soldier as a memorial of a confederate soldier beautiful statue you have two flags you have the dixie flag and you have the confederate states of america flag but there's no united states of america flag insane in the 21st century in 2022 that painted a picture of what the deep south really is and in order for us as a profession to get past that we need to know the history and if people visit our state and our city from the south there's a reason why there's a distrust in police and we have to understand that and it's very eye-opening it's something you can read but if you see it it's just it's powerful very Mm. powerful I'm going to ask you to to be a little vulnerable with us. And I'm sure on that drive and in that visit, you had some quiet time. Mm-hmm. You probably had some minutes to reflect back. And can you share what that felt like for you and bringing it forward to, did you tell yourself that this was going to have an impact on you and law enforcement and what you would bring back to our city. Did you share any experience? Can you share an experience such as that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I have been telling people, I took pictures. I took pictures everywhere of that. Just that cemetery alone will paint a picture of what we're dealing with as a profession in our past, you know, and what the people that from that area come over here, what they experience and what they see when they see us. But yeah, it's, it's, um, you don't think about it until you see it. And for me, I was, I don't know. I don't know what the feeling I felt. It was, there is very strong emotions. There was, there was anger. There was just um, hopefulness, really. It's weird, hopefulness. Because I will say this, 80% African-American population in some Alabama, an all-Confederate cemetery, and there's no vandalism whatsoever. No flags are kicked over. No, there's nothing, no vandalism at all. And that right there shows the hope of the human spirit that, yeah, this is a thing of the past, but we're not going to, we're not going to let this define us who we are now. Mm-hmm. We're not going to acknowledge I it. I we're just going to leave it there. Mm-hmm. People can do their thing. Uh, but I mean, it, it's very eye-opening. So vo- I did feel vulnerable and it's just, and you do have reflection time after the, it's because it's Raj knows this trip takes a lot out of you. And like it, it, it opens up your mind to things you have not experienced or even seen before. So yeah, those, those, uh, those are probably six hours of sleep oh, in the hotel rooms goodness. are much needed, but you wake up like exhausted the next day. It's a lot to take in. It's a lot, it's to, a lot take to take in. in. And you're sitting in a leadership position with the Tempe police department. What do you hope to share with that or gain or, or what's the change in you, um, in terms of that experience and, and how it affects 
your leadership role? That's a great question. So we have fantastic people. Many women here in the Tempe Police Department, our officers are just phenomenal. Uh, not an ounce of racism in any of them. So they don't understand this. Like, I'm not racist. Why are, why are we being taught TPM? Why are we being taught this stuff? But it's not until you realize that this was, this happened in the past. You may not be, you may not have experienced it. That does not mean other people have not experienced it, especially in, in the South. And like, they experience this every day. So I would say this, like, have an open mind. When I tell my people, I show them the photos and don't change who you are. Don't change how you, your style of policing, but know that when you talk to somebody, maybe from Alabama, maybe from Selma, there's a reason why there's a distrust in you and we shouldn't be taking it personally. It's just the history of what this badge symbolizes to those people there when they come here. And I would say that just keep an open mind and understand that you may not be racist, but that doesn't mean it's not happening somewhere else. Excellent. Well, Thank you for that. Like you know, from law enforcement, because it drastically changes once you start moving from Arizona back, mm -hmm. you know, to the south and just to the east and a little bit to the north. And yeah. I was going to ask you, so what did you think about the bridge, the iconic bridge? that Emin Pettis Bridge? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Amazing. That well, was amazing. Do you, what about the, he's uh, named after? Who it was named after. Yeah. yeah so that's you, the, go ahead, man. Uh, my God. So I didn't know anything about the Edmund Pettis Bridge. Okay. And I will say the people who are listening to this, look up Edmund Pettus, all right? And look at the bridge that like the, when MLK marched with the people there, um, it, it's just that, that itself is like almost a symbol. Like we walk over this bridge named after a hateful person, but we're going to have nothing but love and peace come out of it. It was very eye-opening. It was very emotional. And we walked that bridge, my group and I, there was 15 of us. And then we all got goosebumps. And we're like, the history happened here. And the fact that it was that that peaceful and loving history happened after a bridge named after a hateful man is phenomenal. Ku Klux Klan Grand Wizard for the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, it's still there today. Yeah, and you can't change it because law law prohibits you right. from changing that. And so, which is weird. Every people that people of color people that are traveling on that bridge, right. you know, is traveling under someone that uh, ordained supported, wanted, you know, uh, segregation, the lynchings that were going on, the atrocities of crimes that were going on. And, and that name is still honored on a bridge. But what I think, America, which is awesome right? is they kind of turned it around. Yeah. People don't know Edmund yeah. Pettus anymore. They know right. the Edmund Pettus Bridge and the good that happened there. Mm -hmm. So I think in a way, I, like history was mm -hmm. ironic mm -hmm. and turned it into good, you mm -hmm. know? But yeah, it's, it's yeah, crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And so Lieutenant Johnson, what did you, in terms of your leadership, experiencing the telos process, what would you say, um, what did you bring back or hope to share with your employees and with the city of Tempe and the community? Because what we do affects our community. Yeah, you know, I just what, what Eric said, just like pushing people just to like this open mind, you know, of like what people experience has been in the past. And, um, you know, just that trip and like Eric was talking about, like, why is it so exhausting? Because you're walking through trauma, you know, you're walking through trauma. Um, you're walking through some sadness. Uh, you're, you're walking through hate, anger. You're walking through so much. And, um, you know, it's, well, it's, it's hard to process. And cause we haven't spoke, Eric and I haven't um, spoke about the, um, 
museum, which I don't talk about the museum, the EJI um, Equal Justice Institute Museum um, and the Lynch Memorial um, that's in Montgomery, Alabama, because um, you're going to go. And I don't want to take away that from you, take away that um, from you and that experience. Um, but I'll just say like, so thousands of people were, were, were lynched. And when they were lynched, um, it was from like things like drinking from um, a well, um, um, you know, whistling um, uh, at a, at a white person. Um, I couldn't, I can't tell you how much things, how many signs that I saw that was just for uh, drinking out of the well on the wrong side of town. Uh, and so, um, but you, so we were going, th- so we go through that and, um, but as Eric was talking about like this hope factor, he's so right because I saw like a community come together, um, when, um, Rosa Parks got on this bus and she refused to get her seat, get up that seat. And when that kicked off the bus boycott and you heard the stories about how the community came together, you know, and said, we're not going to get on the bus. And and I didn't know this until I was there. And we're talking about walking eight miles round trip, you know, for women who are still having to go into the homes um, as they were the help, you know, and they're in heels, right? <laughs> and and they've had and they had um hearses, they've had other people's cars, they understood where whose kids was going where and they came and they did that for over a year. You yeah. know, which is crazy. And so it's powerful. It's powerful. powerful. And so um what I bring back from a leadership standpoint um is to really just kind of walk a little closer with my employees um and and be vulnerable like you had mentioned, Trish. And um, and, and then also be approachable where we can have these conversations. And when I'm sharing my trip to, um, you know, and when I know I have the interest and in just really kind of go in and just explain, Hey, this is what I saw and just kind of open the eyes and then point people to different books so that they, um, can, you know, start their own journey. Um, but the big thing that from this trip that from what other people have taken, um, was just like this compassion and this empathy, like Eric was talking about, like when you're interacting with people in the community and they have this distrust for law enforcement, under, just understand like where that might come from and that might be valid because it's in a perfect profession, you know? And, you know, there's like you know, there's all these biases and confirmation biases and, you know, now there's anger and why people might be angry with, with this profession and just kind of understand that. So that helps you really, right? Because it kind of separates you, you know what I mean? So. I am so glad you experienced that when I heard about it. I so wanted to be a part of that process as well. I like that you said to encourage people to start a journey and to start addressing that and having these uh, very difficult conversations. So you mentioned Noble and could you elaborate on uh, Noble and the organization, please. Sure. Noble is the National Organization of, of Black Law Enforcement Executives. Uh, Noble was started in 1976, and um, it's a great organization. Uh, I am the uh, chapter president of Arizona, the Dole's Nelson chapter. And uh, Noble is, uh, is a big organization um, where we pride ourselves on being a conscious of law enforcement um, by justice, um, justice by action. And uh, let me tell you how Noble came about. Uh, Noble came about um, back in the day, I say back in the day, but it's um, uh, pre-1976. There was still segregation segregation going on uh, within law enforcement itself, 
right? And so for um, a black leadership or people who are aspiring to, um, you know, promote and, and throughout the police department, um, there was, it was a struggle. It was a, a huge struggle to do that. Mentoring, um, to have someone appropriately mentor you um, was a huge struggle. Uh, and so Noble um, it came together and formed, you know, with that in mind. Um, with that in mind that, hey, it's going to serve as a group to provide a mentorship um, for those who are, are seeking to um, promote within the ranks, um, further educate themselves in their current position, um, and also help move their organization forward. And, you know, that comes out to ensuring that, hey, that we are um, providing proper service to our community um, that's equitable, right? And so some of the stuff that um, Noble is involved in is um, meeting with uh, legislatures. Um, and we're proud to say, first of all, I want to say um, uh, Eric Hernandez is the vice president of uh, Arizona chapter of Noble, and he's, he's just absolutely outstanding. Um, uh, we're fortunate to have our chief, Jeff Glover, Jeffrey Glover, is the second uh, Noble National VP. Uh, and he uh, won that back in, um, or was elected, excuse me, back in July. Um, just at our past conference. And so what that means is that he will naturally ascend to become Noble National um, President, which is super huge because he has um, voice um, with leadership across the country, across the world, uh, and voice, uh, you know, in the White House, right? Um, I believe our, our, our uh, past uh, president was at the White House six times, and you're part of these discussions that affects law enforcement across the nation. So it's really a big deal. Assistant Chief Andre Anderson is our chapter uh, advisor. Let me tell you what, I mean, he's, he's awesome as that. For, yeah. Even for me and Eric, I mean, that's why it's fortunate to be in these positions, yes. um, to have someone like uh, Assistant Chief Anderson who has so much experience with Noble. He served as a regional uh, vice president and has been a part of um, many committees with Noble uh, for many years. And so to have his level of experience here uh, at, with our chapter and then with the our region um, is is really important. So how could a person be a member? Is it uh, and is it open to uh, ethnicity or and I'm and I'm saying this for someone who may not be watching us to see us, uh, but a listener. So could you walk us through um, the openness of membership and how to come about that? Anybody can be a part of it. In fact, um, our assistant chief, uh, Kathy uh, Masters, is actually a, a member of Noble and she sits on our curriculum board. Um, we have had past members that are, are, are white that are part of it, um, Hispanics that are a part of it. And so you would just go on to um, our Noble National uh, website uh, and um, you can also go on our aznoble.com and um, you can register as a, just with our local chapter, which we hope you do that. If not, you can um, become a member through um, the national um, chapter um, Noble is uh, really inclusive, man. We, yes. we were here to help anyone. In fact, um, um, what we've been working on here recently is um, symposiums, and we've partnered with um, Sandra Day O'Connor Academy um, of, uh, for, for Justice, um, their law school here at ASU, Arizona State University. And so our first symposium we had, um, I believe that was um, back in September, excuse me, August, and that centered around homelessness and um, the call to end homelessness. And we had expert panels from around uh, the country come in and and speak about homelessness and provide different viewpoints on what's working, what's not working. How can the police department become better with that? Um, we had really good attendance. We just finished our, our second 
um, symposium yeah, that, that was done last week. Yeah. And that symposium was um, about uh, mental health. Yep. And how can we um, take a look at our, our the mental health in our state uh, and across America, again, with experts? Um, and how do, how do we do that as a police department? And so our, actually, Sergeant Rob Ferrara was present on that panel. Uh, he's very big in, you know, the, yeah. the peer support aspect, but also just the mental health. And we and t- that was a big tie into Narcan. We were on a meeting today talking about um, our youth empowerment, right, Yes, Eric? a youth symposium that we're planning on doing with Noble in empowering the youth and having a voice for them to speak out. There's a lot of things that the youth are going through mental health-wise. I mean, with I mean, going to school now is, is, is stressful as it is. And you have all these mass shootings that you hear about all the time. And you can imagine it's taking a toll on the kids. So, yeah, we have that lined up. And going back, Noble is a huge organization. And it's, it's, it is it's is an honor for me to sit as a VP with Raj. First of all, sign me up anytime I need to work with Raj. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's a no-brainer for me. I can tell. But it's very inclusive. Yes. Very inclusive. I mean, it speaks volumes. We have a, a Hispanic vice president for the Arizona chapter. So I would encourage everyone to look up Noble. It is a great organization that does really good things for the community. I do want to just share one thing and uh, with that is thank you for the encouragement, for the education about Noble. And uh, earlier this week, I had a conversation reference to AZ Win and spoke to the president. We spoke to the president of AZ Win and I said to her, I'm going to join. So that and I, I gave her my word by the end of today, I'm going to join. I got home. It was late. I was almost going to sleep. And I remembered because when you give someone your word, you should follow through. Jumped up, logged in. I'm a member. And my next uh, my next step is to be a member of Noble. I so I will be by the end of today, I will be a member of Noble. Yep. And I encourage any listener mm. to look into both of those and mm-hmm. become active. Mm. So thank you for that encouragement, Absolutely. both oh, of you. you. That's both awesome. Of That's you. great to hear. Thank you, Trish. So Sergeant Hernandez, as we've been speaking about Noble and relationship building, can you also share from your perspective um, some other roles and relationships? Yeah. So one of the things that we're, we're doing here in the department is what's called TPM, as most of our officers are familiar with, or some of our officers are familiar with, because some have gone through the transformational policing model, stands for transformational policing model. And it's a, a training that's being uh, done by the department and it's being uh, pushed out to the line level officers. It was pushed out to supervisors, but it'll soon be pushed out to our line level officers. And it's just all the things that we were talking about. It's understanding the history, understanding the past. And in order for us to build that bridge with the community and make us all inclusive, we have to understand what happened before us. What happened before this profession was the noble profession it is now? And what was it in the past? So what is it that people have experienced, uh, like for example, in the South? And what experiences do they bring here when they come to uh, to Tempe to visit or to live? And as soon as our officers are aware of that, I think they'll be more, um, I I would say that interactions with the community will be a lot smoother because we'll understand each other. So that's one of the things that Noble is big on is the TPM and the department is as well. So I I think it's a great thing that the training is, we're going to be getting the training for our line level officers on that. And this ultimately comes back to the community is what I'm hearing from you. So the benefit, the importance of it, and it it makes us stronger here in the city of Tempe. And absolutely. And people and our officers, they can't, I can understand how some officers might think it's like, oh, I don't need that because I'm not racist. I'm not like that. I don't believe in that stuff. But it'll only, it's like you said, it'll only help interact with the community. 
And what happens when the community understands the police and vice versa, you have less chances of violence and you'll have uh, less use of force encounters. And that's ultimately what we want. We're peacekeepers, we're guardians. And that's our main, that's our main role is to protect, to serve and protect. You could say we're well balanced that way. Mm -hmm. Very good. Can we uh, discuss uh, what is redlining and how has this affected communities of color? Sure. So um, redlining, um, man, it, it affects America to this day. You, you know, we talk about, hey, um, history is so important. So like you don't repeat it. Um, but redlining actually started uh, roughly about the 20s and 30s, um, um, you know, mostly up in the 30s when the uh, suburban America was starting to, to kick out. And so um, and what it did is that government institutions came together and actually mapped out where people of color, where black Americans were going to live. Um, and, 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 and not only did they map it out where they where they're going to live, um, um, also mapped out where they could not go. And and so that happened through across um, the United States and it happened here in Arizona. So we can we know that there's, um, you know, communities of color that are typically located in South Phoenix. Right. Um, and 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 that was done through redlining and redlining goes a little bit further than just saying, hey, where people can live. But it actually involves the financial institutions. Um, you know, black people were, and people of color were denied um, credit. Um, you know, from banks, um, they were not allowed to receive loans um, on their, their mortgages. Um, you could not gain equity on your mortgage. Um, if you uh, did were able to buy a house, then you had an, uh, a sky high interest rate on it that was um, just super high. Uh, it, it went so far as to when communities were developing that the homeowner associations were writing contracts to uh, white people who were purchasing these homes saying that you cannot sell your house to a person of color, period. You can't do it. And if you do, um, they will take away like this house from the, um, the person who purchased it and then they will go out to you civilly. And so they were, these were contracts that were done uh, across America um, that just, okay, so not only do we have the system that was designed to, um, you know, keep us separate, and this is where we get separate segregation from, um, but then, the, you know, there was just also this punishment for white people in these communities that like, hey, you can't sell your house to nobody that's a person of color. Um, uh, it actually went a little bit further and also from zoning laws where these communities can live, but also industrial um, businesses, right? Um, these industrial businesses, um, were um, then zoned into these communities of color um, for like, just like, you know, waste, right? And so if you're a big manufacturer where we don't want that into this community, a uh, white community, um, because it's going to bring down property values. So rezone that into the black community, rezone that into the Hispanic community, um, rezone that into the Native American community. And so when you look across these um, historical communities, I mean, you could see it. You could see some of these nuclear power plants. You could see some of these um, big businesses that, you know, kick off, you know, pollution and so forth. Um, that's how it all got there. Um, and so, you know, that's um, redlining and, and we could see the effects of that today. And then that's kind of, you know, in my view and opinion is like, that's how we get into this marginalization. When you say this community is marginalized. So well, what does that mean? 
I'm like, okay, well, well, so no one wants to put a business in that. You saw Jackson, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. No one wants to put businesses there, yeah. right? And so if you don't have good businesses there because the property value is not good or because, you know, it's environmentally environmentally challenged, then, I mean, you don't have resources and revenue and tax-based dollars going back into that community, right? Right. Yeah, you have to have, like, there's, we spoke to when we were at the Telus trip, um, I forgot the gentleman's name, but he's like, he's a wealthy uh, business owner there. And his main thing is in Jackson, Mississippi, is just bringing businesses in and he's having a hard time with the bureaucracies. I mean, it's still happening now. And it's it's like he even said it, it's almost like it's reverting back to the 60s, which was very unfortunate to hear because you don't know this stuff. So yeah, it's like I said, it's crazy. So this may lead us into the next question in terms of diversity. And if we can discuss what effect has diversity had on the Tempe Police Department and community relationships with the police force? I can, like I said, I can go through my personal experiences. And then uh, Raj kind of mentioned it when, and, and I saw it a lot when I was the sergeant of the gang unit. I'm like, uh, I want to give a shout out to my detectives, some of the finest detectives ever, <laughs> Albert, <laughs> Steve, Matt, yes. Julio, Dan. They were fantastic because they understood that in order for us to enforce our laws, we have to have the community involved as well. So every time we would go into, and let's face facts, majority of the gangsters we face are minorities. They're minorities. So we would have to respond to a minority community, arrest either a son, a brother, a cousin, uncle, a father. And in the past, we would just take someone and leave and not explain what's going on, which could lead to that distrust. Why did the, why did the police take my son? What's going on? Well, the guys I just mentioned, like they understood it and they understood it as a team. We go out there and explain to the mom who might be in the yard saying, hey, what, what are you doing? My son explaining what's going on. Hey, your son might have been involved in a dangerous crime and we need to take him in and we'll question him and we'll let you know what's going on. But we also gave back to the community as well, because we can't be seen as a, the police department can't be seen as a, an occupying force. Can't. We have to be able to do community involvement and community responding and community engagement. So what we would do, the team, is we would gather a lot of these like school supplies for kids and pass them out in order to build that trust with us. So um, that, that's just one, ex- one example of, uh, of, of that. And can we uh, talk about the importance that our department has diversity? I, I will share something um, recently. So I am assigned to the professional standards unit. Most people know that as internal affairs. I went to a... Uh, meeting in another city with also other IA uh, employees, sergeants, officers, detectives, walked into this big room, about 40 people. And I was one of three women and the second person of color, I would, I would say. It was, um, it was a little disappointing professionally. Personally, I could say that as well. Um, so I did not see a whole lot of diversity um, in that room. And uh, can we talk about the importance and why we need that? What does that bring to the table? Our department does a good job of having diversity in our department. Um, and, and like I'd mentioned earlier, like we need more women in law enforcement. Uh, and I think the department is doing great strides for that. It's just we're, we're hoping to meet a, a number of women joining the force. It's, it's hard, though, because it's been a predominantly male-dominated profession. I want to jump back to what Trish said. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like, when I walk into a, a room or when I was one of five police officers, black police officers in Tempe at one point in time in mm-hmm. 2000, and that was mm-hmm. 2002. And one of the things that I questioned was the support, Right. 
And so when you walk in and you're like the only one, you're, you're wanting to have, am I supporting this organization? Am I going to be defeated fairly, fairly in this organization transparently? You know, uh, will there be transparency, you know, towards me? Will I have the same opportunities, you know? Um, and so when, when just like, as I go, I mean, you just went through a training like that, man. And, you know, you were one out of four. It's like, wow, like, okay, you know, where's, where's my voice? All that affects performance. All of that affects your inner morale, like affects so much. And I think it's important to have these topics uh, discussed because what I um, I openly will will share and talk about this and it, let's address this topic. And so my prior sergeant who I shared this with, I was um, as a white female and as a sergeant, I was very proud that she noticed that. And she noticed it because we have addressed this topic in conversation. So um, so we can plant positive seeds with other people. And this way also she had a different viewpoint and she was able to see also through my lens and, and, and what I noticed. And so um, so it's good for us to continue to have these, these open discussions. And with that diversity, and let's talk about language that we welcome here. And so you are Spanish speaking yes. and we do have, we need other languages as well. Yes. So can you talk about what is, why is it important to have bilingual speaking officers on the force? Oh, it's super important. Uh, so in the past, and some of our officers that don't speak Spanish will use the language line. They'll call a line and we'll have translation done. And what is the language so line? The language line is, is you, you grab your cell phone, there's a number you call, and it's they translate for you. They literally translate for you, they pass the phone back and forth. Um, there's some apps now also that are used where you, you talk into it and it translates in Spanish. But if you don't speak that language, you're not completely sure if that's the right message getting across or if you're asking where the nearest McDonald's is, you just don't know, right? And but if we we have, I didn't mean to interrupt, no, if we have a sensitive uh, issue to address, such as a sexual oh, assault absolutely. or child molest, that becomes a little awkward, Very I would awkward. say. And yeah. so what is the important uh, importance of language in, in reaching our community? It's, it's very important because that community feels involved. So, um, I mean, like my personal experience, I go out there, I go to uh, when I was an, when I was an officer, I responded to a domestic violence situation with a Spanish speaking family. And right off the bat, they're coming, they're dealing with, they're experiencing some traumatic events uh, and no one really wants the police to be there. Right. But we're, we're called to solve issues. So you already have that going against the officers showing up. Now, with me showing up and able to speak that language, it immediately immediately lightens the room up. There's less chances for violence against against us police officers. There's less chances of use of force, and it's because as as human beings, we want to be uh, understood and listened to. So that's why it's super important to have uh, Spanish speaking officers and other speaking uh, officers. We have officers that speak uh, currently. We have an officer that speaks Mandarin. Um, I'm not sure we have any Farsi, but we have a very, uh, very big Persian community here in Tempe also. Um, uh, like I mentioned, the Mandarin, but there's other languages that we need. Tagalog, the Filipino language. When you respond to calls for service with people of those communities, they lighten up immediately when you have someone speaking to them. And even though you may arrest somebody, you're going to have kids there. And they see that, hey, look, that there's Officer Hernandez. He speaks Spanish. I could be like him one day. And I could say, and it's kind of like we're like almost like a symbol of hope in, in situations like this, especially for these communities that don't, may not feel they have that hope. 
being immigrants coming to a country that's new and uh, they may not even have a trust of the police from their own personal experiences back home. So I think it's vital in order for us to actually bridge that, that divide between the community and include people is having officers that speak those languages to kind of include everybody and make them all, we're all one community. Uh, so it's super important. And on the topic of diversity, how has this had an impact or how has this affected you personally? Or do you have a, a story that you could share with us? Yes. I, you know, being in this um, profession, uh, one of the biggest highlight is is just how important diversity is, is just a representation um, to the community. And it, it always makes my day when um, someone, a Black American, sees me in uniform and, and just gives me that nod, that certain nod that, um, glad you're there, um, or family. Um, I remember being, um, uh, at, at a, at a restaurant and, um, especially during the height and, um, when, when civil unrest was going on and there's some uncertainties of why I'm in this profession, you know? And, um, as I was eating with, um, my peers, um, I could see her grab her child and she, uh, she was a uh, black American and, um, and she grabbed her child and she lifted him up and, and, and so he could see me. So me and the child could make eye contact and, and she waved and, and I waved like, um, I'm, I was crying on the inside, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. completely crying. <laughs> yeah, but you got my eyes yeah, watered. Yeah. That just, that's just so important to me that, that I connect with that. It reminds me why I'm in this profession. They know that, um, there's somebody that's in this profession that's for them. Uh, that's, uh, is, is about, you know, a positive change in this organization. Uh, it, so it just, it, it hits me home. Uh, just here, uh, maybe about a month ago, just down on Mill Avenue, um, I, I had a group of young adults, you know, uh, which is like really cool. Just come over and give me dap, give me knuckles, sponsors, and actually say, hey, thank you for being a police officer. We need more, you know, men like you, more men of color like you in, in this profession. So I love it. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, for that's fantastic. It. It's that symbol of hope that um, it is. I also have a, an experience. Please. Also, this happened years ago, probably 12 years ago. And I was like almost like a brand new rookie cop, a year or two on maybe. But there was an experience where I was, uh, I forgot what the call for service was. And it was so long ago, but I, I contacted a, uh, it was like a teenage, old, a young adult. Um, and it, this 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 uh, this guy was from Venezuela, and he didn't speak a, 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 any English at all. He just spoke Spanish. So I contacted him, and he immediately like I didn't give him any verbal commands. He sat down, and he just put his hands up, and then he like you know, I, I thought his behavior was weird. I'd never seen that before. And he reached for his wallet, and he was looking for his wallet, and was about to pull some money out. And uh, and in Spanish, I asked him, "Hey, what are you doing?" He's like, "I'm about to like." pay you how much do you need i'm like what are you talking about like like and then he told me about his experience back home and when police contact you you're expected to give them what they call a a a tax um a mordida in spanish it's called it a tax and then he was expected to give that to me but i told him like we don't do that here like this is this is a land of the free home of the brave we don't do that right so if for him that was a positive interaction with a Hispanic officer and knowing that, hey, the police here are actually good. And I'm hoping that that message was spread across to his family and friends. And um, I think that was a a funny experience, Mm -hmm. but also could be seen as like, hey, that was hopeful and that maybe that he spread the word to his family and friends. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And as we are coming to um, to the end of our conversation, I'm just going to openly ask this uh, if we could discuss what are some major 
points that you would want the general public to take away from this conversation? I think um, police departments are really just a part of the community, right? And um, I think the public has a charge to want to know how their police department is doing, um, want to know uh, what type of training um, that their officers are involved in, um, what's the leadership structure looks like, uh, what the diversity um, of your police department, what does that look like? I think that's important. And I would want the public to be involved, be engaged with your police departments. Uh, you know, I, I, one of the things I, I love at um, Tempe Police Department is that um, we're not a department where we shy away from tough conversations. And right. And this department will will stand in it. And we've been standing in it um, for the last, you know, um, two years here, just in recent. And so um, uh, and we're OK with that. And and I think the hard conversations with your police department are good. They're, they're healthy. It's involved with holding us uh, accountable. Right. And so um, and we need that. Um, but also too, um, to understand, um, to provide grace because we're not going to be perfect. You know, and when we go out there and um, we are trying to fulfill these roles, you know, officers are carrying a lot. And, um, you know, oftentimes, you know, with the average officer, we just don't have time to deal with the trauma that we're, we're holding on to. There's things that we just don't talk about. And there's, you know, we still have our personal lives. And then when we go out there and, and we make a mistake, okay, cool. Um, um, just have some grace. And, and we, you know, and if, we need to be held accountable for that mistake. Absolutely. But uh, just understand that, hey, there's stuff that we're carrying and, um, you know, just give us grace and um, and work with us, you know, um, um, because we'll get to the right point. And to Thank add to what that. the LT had said is like, when people see us, they see the uniform, they see the badge, they see a, a symbol, right? But we're just people. Like, if If people got to talk to us and look past the badge and the uniform, we would get along a lot more, I believe, because we would have topics that we have similarity uh, likings on and we just talk about sports or movies or current events. But um, I would say that for the community to know that we're, we're people, we're people first, and this is our profession and we hold it in high regard and we will be as professional as possible and know like, hey, I'm a goofball. I'll joke around with you if you want and then we can make this a lot easier. And, and, and it's it's been very successful for me. And I think that the officers on the street that, are just themselves are very successful in that as well. So I hope the community realizes that and they see the, the best in us and just who we are. Well said. I agree. Thank you. Yeah, well thank said. you for thank this you. powerful conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you I very much. Trish. Thank you. Thanks it. for having us here. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. E, this has been honored to sit with you, man. You too, sir. Uh, I appreciate, appreciate it. Thanks, Raj. All the time. It's good times.